Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the events described, which is why almost all of us in this room are here today, because of what you did that we're going to learn about today. Be glorified. Uh, Use us to reach out to those around us who don't know you, uh, who are just as lost as Cornelius was. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I was really looking, I was really happy Jack uh, left open this slot and that I was able to take it because we get to talk about Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. So we get to talk about the Roman army, and that is wonderful. There'll be a little bit of it. I won't bore you with it. Well, I probably will bore you with it, but, but not too much. Okay, so... So, now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints that lived at Lydda. So you see Lydda, uh, about two-thirds of the way down, just in from Joppa. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your... What is he... Do you notice that when... Uh, paralytics are healed almost every time they get told to stand up and make their bed. Why is that? I don't know. Well, I think it's actually because it demonstrates that they're not going there again, that uh, Christ has healed them, and now that's not their life anymore. So just as with us. And immediately he rose. Uh, So if you go, so now Jerusalem, you'll see down there, and I see that uh, Sean was nice enough to put on a better map, that shows where Jerusalem is in relation to Lydda. Um, You remember that the last big event that we talked about in the life of the church was the persecution uh, that erupted after Stephen's death and the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Now they have freedom to move about. So Peter uh, goes up to Lydda and we'll see him operating really as far north as Caesarea. So, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was a Joppa disciple named Tabitha, if you remember bewitched, of course, Tabitha, um, which means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes when she saw Peter, she sat up became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So what I'd like to do is go back to the first slide. And Peter went here and there, went to Lydda. Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't say Peter heals you. He didn't say I healed you. He didn't say rise. He said, stand up. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, why does Peter, why do we see these two incidents before we see uh, the events in Cornelius' life? Well, I think one of the main reasons is, just as we see in, in the miracle patterns throughout Acts, 
God validates his messengers with miracles. So here we see him do two things. We see him heal a paralyzed man, and we see him raise somebody from the dead. Anybody else do those things? Well, yeah, of course Christ did. So it demonstrates that this man is anointed by God in special ways to do special things. And there are some other reasons for miracles as well. But um, So there was, so they turned to the Lord. And that's a consistent theme as well with miracles is God uses them to create a groundswell of interest and openness in the gospel when people see how God works in the world and see the power of the Savior. So, and then he goes up to Joppa. You'll see that on, this, on there as well, uh, which is essentially where Tel Aviv is now. Uh, remember, that's where Jonah left to try to get away from God and failed. So Tabitha, in those days, they, she fell sick and died, and they laid her out in an upper room. So I was wondering, why do you think they laid her out in an upper room? Why don't they just bury her? I think they thought that maybe Peter will do something. Because immediately they said, didn't, I didn't include this text, immediately they sent for Peter and said, hurry down, come see us. What did they expect him to do? I don't know if they knew. They just knew, here's an apostle, who knows what God might do. And so their, their faith is rewarded by seeing exactly what God can do in raising Tabitha from the dead. And again, many believed in the Lord. So God was, was uh, particularly anointing Peter and marking him out, but he was also doing something in Peter. And that's reflected in the last word of this passage. So he went to stay at the house in Joppa at the house of Simon a tanner. If you, I'm not gonna go into all the details because it's breakfast, but if you ever had the idea, which I put in your notes, this, your job stinks, if you were a tanner, it was really true, it really was. It was regarded as Levitically unclean, and it was literally unclean. Um, I'll leave it at going no further than saying they used animal dung and brains a lot, and urine, by the way. So don't think we need to go into it any more than that, but it was literally a malodorous job. But Peter stays there. So I think that God is already at work in Peter to sort of open his aperture. If you think back sort of in the Gospels to uh, sort of those initial, they're not blips because they're exactly in the sovereignty of God, but those initial uh, works that God did to reach out to the Gentiles, who was involved? Was it Peter? No, no. It was Philip and Andrew. Peter was sort of, you're a Jewish guy and gonna stay that way, but God is opening his aperture. And we're gonna see that a lot more in this passage ahead. Okay, Caesarea. Now, here is a picture of Cornelius. Looks suspiciously like Channing Tatum, of course, but <laughs> trust me, it's Cornelius. So, centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Um, so, since I'm here and I got the mic, I'll tell you because I want to. Uh, so, centurions. We think of centurions, if you think about them at all, you probably think of them as sort of like senior NCOs. 
Not accurate. This guy, Channing Tatum's character in this movie, The Eagle, which is an okay movie, but pretty historically accurate in terms of the details of uniforms and so forth. You can't see it very well in the picture, but, but he's actually wearing his short sword, his gladius, on his left side, which designates him as a centurion. A legionary would wear it on his right side, but centurions wore it on their left side. And they had a couple other distinctives. A centurion is really, he could command anything from a century, hence the name, which at this period of time, despite what you read in a lot of commentaries, was a group of about 80 men, so a platoon, roughly, all the way up to a cohort, which was about 500 men, 480 men. So wide range, essentially from a platoon to a battalion. So these guys and their long service veterans, some of them over 40 years in the service, unlike him, of course. Um, so the bedrock of the Roman army, the guys who really carried them through thick and thin, and when the centurions cracked, the legions tended to fall apart, which happened several years earlier at the Teutoburg Forest. So he's a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Cohort group about, think of it as like a battalion. So about, uh, so it was 10 centuries, so about 480 guys. Um, they could de be detached for uh, separate duty as probably was the case here. Uh, it's possible that Cornelius was the head of the uh, cohort, but no reason to believe that. It doesn't say it in the text. So uh, Cornelius is a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms liberally to the people, and prayed constantly to God. But is he Jewish? And the answer is no. He is a devout man. He believes in the God of the Jews, but he is not Jewish. And of course, as you've all read this before, that's the critical thing. He's not of the people of Israel. And about the ninth hour of the day, so it's about three in the afternoon, which in the Jewish calendar of the time was a time of prayer. There's another one at noon that'll figure in a little later when we get to Peter. He saw clearly in the vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? So, and he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men, I'm not supposed to turn my back to you, but um, send men to uh, Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon at a, a tanner who is staying by the seaside. When the angel had spoken to him, departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius is a devout man, not a Jew. He calls the angel Lord or Kurios. It's a, that's an expression that can mean everything from master all the way up to Christ. Here, of course, it just, it essentially means he's not sure who he is, but he knows he's bigger and more important than he is, so he says, Lord. A memorial offering. So the angel tells Cornelius, Cornelius, all that you've done in terms of praying and giving to the work of God is not wasted. It's all been remembered before God. I would tell you today and me, all that praying that you've done, all that giving that you've done 
is not wasted. God keeps account of every penny and every syllable, and those accumulate before him. I mean, the great news is our sins are forgotten, our prayers and alms are remembered, and God blesses us not only here and now, but they also pay dividends in eternity, not for us, but for him in terms of the glory that's given to him. And he tells, he doesn't tell Cornelius to go to Peter. He tells Cornelius to send some folks down and get Peter and bring him up. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons is Cornelius isn't the target. God's not interested in Cornelius coming to faith alone. Cornelius is the bridgehead. Everyone, almost all of us, except for the folks of Jewish heritage in this room, almost all of us are here today because of him. Because God used him as the bridgehead for the gospel in the Gentile world. And that's why Cornelius is so important. Because he was a great guy. Well, he apparently was a great guy, actually. But it was because God who chose to use him. Or God chose to use him. And then the, think about the servants and the soldiers. They're part of the story, too. Just like each of us in the ministries that God's given us, we have no idea. You know, it's like speaking of Roman things, thinking about the movie Gladiator. And uh, Maximus says, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. A little cheesy in the movie, understandably, but it's true. What these guys did in being willing to obey the tasks that they were given, even though it was outside their normal range of duties, and go down and get Peter echoed in eternity, and we're part of the fruit of that. What you do today can echo in eternity. So we must, we must never forget the opportunity we have to live lives much greater than going to work and coming home. The next day as they were on their journey and coming into the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray, flat roof, of course, used as a living space, about the sixth hour. So it's about noon, another traditional time of prayer, and also, just as with us, lunchtime. And he became hungry and desired something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, saw the heaven open, and something descending like a great sheet, let down by four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, and reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Sorry, vegans, just the way it goes. Okay. Uh, but Peter said, no, Lord. You ever think about that? No, Lord. How, how do those go together exactly? Have I ever said that? Of course I have. But it's still as inconsistent with me as it was with him. For I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. A voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This happened three times, the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men that were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, no Google Maps, um, stood before the gate, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I perceive that God shows no partiality, 
but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So stepping back to the beginning of the passage, became hungry. It's really not just hungry. It's not like I feel a little peckish today and I I want a snack. It's ravenously hungry. So God took Peter's natural, hey, I'm hungry, desire, I would guess, sharpened it and incorporated it into what he was about to do in Peter's heart. So he wants something to eat, they're preparing it. Peter goes into a trance. You can see the Greek word there, ecstasis, on your notes, ecstasis, our word ecstasy. Standing out of a normal condition, a soul rendered susceptible to visions from God. Because Peter is who he is, and Peter, like us, sometimes a little hard-headed, takes a little to get through, God orchestrates everything to get through to Peter with what he's about to do. And here's a, a great example of it. He's incorporating his natural desires. Now in a trance, he sends a trance upon Peter to sharpen his, his uh, spiritual appetite as well to be sensitive to what God's gonna teach him. So he lets down this great sheet with all kinds of animals. Not specified what the animals were, uh, but clearly, in Peter's mind, they were unclean, not suitable for food, Levitically unsuitable. And he tells him, Peter, here's lunch. Of course, Peter, as, you've, as we've read in the text, hey, I, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And then God tells him what God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. We need to hear the same thing. Okay, and I put a couple of these items in the questions. What God has cleansed, we must not call common or unclean. That includes one another in the body of Christ. That includes those outside the body of Christ. That includes those on an opposite side of the political spectrum. It includes fill in the blank. What God has cleansed, the souls of men, people who are created in the image of God, I must not call common or unclean. Needy, yes. Captured perhaps by by the enemy to do his will, perhaps. But not common or unclean. It's like C.S. Lewis, words to the effect that there is no ordinary man. We're all extraordinary all creatures of, of, uh, created by, in God's image, sometimes pursuing evil purposes, but nonetheless uh, extraordinary creatures. This happened three times. A lot of times, I mean, you've noticed it in scripture. How many things happen in threes? A lot of things happen in threes. In this case, of course, just as Marty would say, it's for emphasis. Okay, Peter, I'm gonna do this once. Did you get it? Nope. Okay, twice. Get it? Nope. Three times. Just like on the beach, when Peter and uh, Christ are walking on the beach, says to him three times, do you love me? Emphasis. The Spirit said to him, God speaks, in case Peter didn't get it, God speaks to him and says, Peter, these guys are downstairs, three men, again, three, are looking for you. I sent them. 
And you can see how God has orchestrated everything. They don't arrive five minutes late, which I would, or five minutes early. They arrive just on time because God is authoring this to speak to Peter and commission him to open the gospel to the Gentiles, to us. Peter gets it. Truly I perceive that God shows no partiality. Everyone who does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, it is tempting, it can be tempting, particularly for those who are um, looking at uh, the gospel but not, have not accepted it. It's tempting to look at uh, everyone who does what is right is acceptable to him and say, okay, well, all religions are okay. No. Acceptable to him does not mean saved. Acceptable to, to him means regarded favorably. And God does regard favorably acts of good. Things, he's ordered the cosmos such that when we do what he says, good things happen. When we don't do what he says, bad things happen. Whether we're believers or unbelievers, those laws still apply because that's the way he's constructed the world and the universe. So doing good things makes him, is acceptable to God, but it doesn't save him. Cornelius, as we'll see later, does what's acceptable to God, so God sends in the gospel. The gospel is what saves him. The same is true today. The gospel is what saves us. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized them, saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? And then Peter's explaining it to him, and Peter says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has given repentance unto life. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will bless those who bless you. Him who curses you, I will curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Jews were intended to be and became a blessing to the world. The outreach to the Gentiles wasn't, didn't start in the New Testament. It started in the book of Genesis. The Jews were intended to be and were ultimately a blessing to the world, including to the Gentiles. Not humanly, but God used them to bring the Christ into the world and then to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. Notice the circumcision party, and we'll cover that, or we, we'll see that a lot as we go along in uh, the book uh, of Acts, and we'll see it even more when you get into Paul's letters. The circumcision party are silenced, but not for long. Uh, I give you Acts 15, which is the council at Jerusalem where this issue comes up again, and Galatians 1 and 2, and Peter himself ends up sort of getting across the breakers with the fo folks of the circumcision party again. Questions? 
And this is really what I've, I've covered with you. Uh, what groups of people or individuals with their political viewpoints, etc., has God cleansed and declared acceptable that I call common, and not common not in the sense of, of uh, every day, but common in the sense of sort of lower or unclean. Then the second one, the second one I deliberately put in there as probably not the thing we'd normally talk about. What about those who reject God's standards in areas like sexual orientation, for example? How do I reach out with the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ to them? Okay, that's it. Thanks for your attention and hit the questions.